This is the Detroit Sports Podcast Network. Hey everybody, this is Freddie Cohen of ESPN Radio. When I'm not talking about breaking news or breaking news on ESPN Radio, I'm always a fan and listening to the Detroit Sports Podcast, and so should you. All I want to know if you got your popcorn ready. Do you got your popcorn ready? Welcome, and thank you for downloading another episode on the Detroit Sports Podcast Network. This is the one-on-one podcast where we get to talk to those in the sports business that we find interesting. And today, we have in studio, you know, we responded to all the emails. I'm very happy. No money exchange hands. (laughs) Dave Shore, program director, 1051, has worked over 25 years in radio and television sports and has been kind enough to join us today on the one-on-one podcast. Dave, welcome. Welcome to Sterling Heights. Well, I'm, I'm happy to do it. And I've, and I've, you, as you know, that I've told you that, uh, that I check out the product. I listen to you and, and, uh, and I appreciate it because I appreciate, uh, you know, guys that are trying to put out good content and there's a lot of, a lot of good stuff to talk about. Now you've been working in television and radio for well over 25 years. Now you sit back and you start reflecting a little bit on your career. Do you go, wow, I've been doing this quite a bit of time and the landscape has changed quite a bit. You know, I, I just did it about a, a week ago because uh, at a kind of an antique or consignment store, I, I purchased a coffee table that had glass and you could, you could put something underneath the glass. And I've been saving all my credentials from 25, 27 years, been saving them all in one area. And so I started to bring out some Super Bowl ones and Indy 500 and stuff, and I, I placed them under there. And that's when I realized, you know what? Man, it's been a lot of years and a lot of events, but, you know, those are great memories. Where did you get the sports bug? Did you think growing up as a kid that you would maybe develop a career in sports? How did you first get involved and uh, develop a love of sports? Some some of us, we just weren't gifted athletes, you know, and, and uh, I, I tried the whole little league and, you know, get ready for college to play baseball and everything like that through high school playing baseball. But I just realized this wasn't going to be it, but I love being around it. And so I used to listen on the old transistor radio under my pillow to Jack Buck call Cardinal Games and Mike Shannon and, you know, in St. Louis and and Harry Carey up in Chicago because I was in central Illinois, so I could pick up uh, those kind of games. And that's when I got the love of it. And and I realized that um, you know it, it wasn't a hard decision for me that I wanted to somehow be a reporter or an anchor or something because I was just so curious about everything that I saw. And I wasn't mechanically inclined to take a car apart myself, so I wanted to ask others how to do it. And, and you know, there was just always that curiosity that led me to want to be a reporter. Okay, you said you grew up listening to the radio. Who were your teams growing up that you rooted for, and what sports did you really latch on to early on as a kid? Well, I grew up uh, just outside of Champaign, Illinois. So, I mean, Illinois was my team and, and has always been my team. And, you know, got uh, got horrible memories of football trips up here to, uh, to watch them play at the big house. But, um, you know, so I was an Illinois fan and, and then a St. Louis Cardinal fan. But when I was a kid, you know, being 100 miles south of Chicago, you got to pick an NFL team when you're when you're growing up in the 70s. And, you know, all my friends were Bears fans and, and, and I decided to pick the Cowboys. So I, you know, I picked the Cowboys in the 70s with Roger Staubach and everything and I became a, a Cowboys fan. So, you know, even though you move and you cover and you travel with teams, I've, I've always kept my, my same loyalties, even though once I get to an area, I also love the local teams that I'm around. Uh, to succeed because life is good when our sports teams succeed. Do you remember your first memory of, you know, when the Cowboys had a great victory or provided you an emotional response, like a devastating loss that uh, really resonates with you now? Yeah, I just, you know, I I remember, um, obviously I remember the catch, you know, in the back of the end zone against the 49ers. But, um, and I also remember how much pride I took watching Roger Staubach, who had a military background, but the way he directed and, and, and directed the field. But, you know, back then we were just getting a, you know, one key game a week. Uh, you know, so listening to Pat Summerall call it or someone like that, it was just, you know, it was unique because we were seeing the marquee matchup. And a lot of times you would end up seeing the Redskins versus the Cowboys. The Cowboys have always been, you know, one of those draws. So the seeing the pain and the joy of a loss was, you know, was evident back then. You're young lad and you're deciding, okay, I think I want a career in sports. Where did you get your education? Did you go to a broadcast school or did you end up going to university? How did you get to trained in, uh, in in the work of sports? I think that's a great question because a lot of interns have asked me or whatever, and I say there, there is no perfect path. You know, it's really about the desire and what you want to put into it, what you'll get out of it. And at the time, you know, the University of Southern Illinois in Carbondale was was always considered, along with Syracuse, a great broadcasting school. But I, but I went down there and I thought, man, I mean, how am I going to get behind the mic when there's like 
500 students in, in the program. So oh, wow. um, I followed my cousin. She had gone to Anderson University just north of Indianapolis. And, you know, it was a liberal arts school. And I, I decided to do that. And so, we, you know, we kind of shaped the, the broadcasting department there. And, you know, we worked in small radio studios with carpet on the walls, shag carpet on the walls and played records. And, and uh, you know, I kind of was a one man sports department uh, there tugging, toting everything down to Indianapolis and and uh, the Pacers let me call some games uh, on on tape delay that we played. So I was calling NBA games, uh, you know, as as a college kid that I didn't even realize at the time. I was like, this is kind of cool. And and the guy that was my analyst was he thought this is kind of cool. Uh, we're seeing all these, you know, Munu Bowl and Kareem Abdul Jabbar, and we'd go back and we'd play them. And I don't know if five people even listened to our broadcast for all those years. So early on in your education, are you starting to formulate some goals that? You want to, you know, try to accomplish? Did you want to be on TV? Did you want to do broadcast, maybe play-by-play? What was your early, you know, formulation and goals? I think I'm just like every guy. We all wanted to be play-by-play guys. And at some point, you got to decide that, you know, that is going to be it or it's not going to be it. And, you know, for me, I I got some pretty good advice um, when I interned at an NBC station in Indianapolis during the summer of 87 that go for news because there's a lot more jobs that open up right out of college for a news reporter. So, um, you know, that's that's how I got my my first uh, TV news reporter and anchor job in, in Evansville, Indiana, allowing me to cover you know murder trials and stuff like that. But that also reminded me that I don't want to do this. I, I cannot wait to get to the sports department. Yeah. First job I read 1988. Was the station really WFIE? Did that really stand for uh, we're first in Evansville? Yeah. yeah. And they always have been. You know, I look back and, mm. you know, some of the same guys, unless they've retired, some of the same guys on TV that I worked with um, back then. Uh, you know, and, and that's really the, the joy for, you know, I know, uh, by the way, I mean, you know, one of my influences when I went to Anderson was guys who paved the way before me. So Mort Krim was an Anderson guy. So, I mean, you know, I, I followed Detroit television and, and because, you know, I wanted to be a news anchor too. So, you know, you, you, you follow those kind of guys. But yeah, when you can find one market and you can stay all these years, like Evansville, Indiana or Lexington, Kentucky or some of these other places that I've been, it, it's, it's, it's a really fun thing, I think, for those guys that can stay there all those years. You do the news reporting for a couple years. 1990 presents you the opportunity to become a sports anchor and reporter in Lexington, Kentucky, WTVQ. You recall your first interview going into a job that maybe you really, really want? Yeah. Well, you know what? Go back to Evansville is the way that I got into sports is you got to have a sports tape, you know, a videotape. So I volunteered during the holiday to uh, to anchor the sports cast on a holiday so somebody could could be off. And the first Christmas broadcast I did in Evansville, first anchor night, Christmas night, there's not a whole lot of things in 1989, but it was a, it was a night that Billy Martin passed away in a car accident. So oh. my lead story on Christmas night was uh, a sad one, but so it was kind of hard to send that out of my resume tape. But yeah, I got the uh, a job in Lexington to be the uh, weekend sports anchor and I stayed there for seven years. And, you know, the very first assignment that I had to, to go out to was to a horse, horse farm and... Uh, basically do a story on a horse. So I wasn't doing an interview with the horse. I was doing it with uh, with the owner. So what were the early challenges that you experienced being new to the job as an anchor? I mean, you've done it for two years, but obviously when you shift over to sports and now you're reporting, what were some of the early challenges that you faced in in, in your job? Well, back then, and you know, sometimes now they still do it, but the equipment is so much easier. Um, you know, back then we shot our own highlights. You know, mm-hmm. so I was shooting with a, a deck on one arm and and the uh, the camera on the other arm and. I would never have it any other way, but then I'd come back and, and edit it and then put my shirt and tie on and, and then go out and anchor it. So we were kind of a one-man band, and, and I think that that was the biggest challenge of all was time management, learning how many highlights could I go shoot at local high schools and still get back and get my sportscast uh, written. But, you know, that was fun. And, and of course, um, you know, I got lucky because Rick Pitino had just gotten to Kentucky and, and uh, they, they had come off of probation. And so, you know, the fun began um, that turned out to be three Final Fours there. Oh, amazing. So yeah. you had some great sports memories there reporting. And uh, what are some other memories that you had there that you recall distinctly from your time, seven years in Le- Lexington, Kentucky? Well, I finally got to call um, play-by-play. Um, um, they they let me uh, call um, play-by-play for Kentucky women's basketball. And back then, you know, it was equal opportunity, just as it is now in, in, in Title IX. And, and we the Kentucky women got the same treatment than Rick Pitino did with the Kentucky men. So, you know, we flew on a nice plane and, and we played Pat Summit in Tennessee and, and Florida. And, and I called Kentucky baseball uh, in the SEC around the time when LSU and Alabama were great and Florida was great. And they had David Eckstein and all those guys on, on Florida's team that, that were going to go on to the pros. So, you know, I got a good chance to, to get some play-by-play called for those years of uh, basketball and baseball. 
How do you start to transition now to go into radio work? Um, you transitioned in 1996 to WLAP AM in Lexington, Kentucky. Yeah. Your job is a program director and a talk show host. Yeah. How did you transition from on-air television work into a radio studio? Yeah, well, I had a guy that uh, was hosting and, and was the program director at that sports radio station that mm-hmm. was in Lexington, and uh, he'd have me fill in. His name was Scott Masteller. He went on to uh, – still my one of my best friends, and he went on to uh, to great sports radio things and management – as well, but at the time he was like, "I'm leaving. Would you ever consider going to sports talk radio?" And 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 at the same time, I would go to TV news director conventions in Vegas and everything. And and sports guys, we were all talking to each other, going, "News directors, they don't really like sports. Our our, our time on a sportscast keep keeps getting smaller. And all we do is give highlights and weather gets more minutes every single night." And and I thought. It really isn't that great. After you get over the fact that you know somebody recognizes you at the grocery store from the guy on TV, what am I going to do? And Sports Talk Radio was just really starting to, to come upon. I thought, this is great. I can talk for three hours on the radio. So I hosted Afternoon Drive and, and uh, ran the radio station. Okay, so now you're getting early experiences as a program director. Now you're starting to think, okay, wow, I'm in management now. I have to also <laughs> prepare my own show to try to do the best that I can, but also manage other people when I might not have that much experience. Did you get any pushback, that initial job? Because I'm sure it might have got around that you might have been a little bit green. Yeah, well, you know what, but at the same time, they thought, well, he came over from television, you know, so he knows something about being in a, in a large department. And we didn't have that many guys at, at, at sports radio back then, so either – managing my you know one other host and my producer and and uh and a couple of uh, assistants we ran a pretty small scale operation there which uh was nice and i only did it about a year before um you know other opportunities came okay so you used it as an opportunity to learn and grow yeah. make your mistakes cut your teeth in, in your first time hosting and, and working in management go on sales calls um you know write copy write liners and Editing. And, and i ran my own board doing afternoon drive um, standing up and, and playing carts. And, and, you know, that was a fantastic uh, experience. Yeah. So what would you say are some differences between television reporting and working on air uh, as, as your own talk show host? Well, I think, you know what, that's a great question. I think it, it helps if you, when I, whenever in the, in the latter years I would go back and do television, it had helped um, because of what you're doing and what you're doing now, um, you find out that you can, you can ad lib easily. You know, you go back to television and everything was so scripted, and people were, you know, reading it off the prompter, and they had no inability, or uh, they had an inability to be able to just ad lib and just express themselves. You started gravitating more towards the radio side, and you're thinking, you know what? I think I could prolong this and make this something I could do for quite a bit of time as a career. Yeah, absolutely. And we saw the, you know, the early days of Why Sports Talk. What what I thought was going to blossom into something special. Back then, there wasn't really that many networks in at, in '97. There was a one-on-one sports, and I, and I believe there was the team out of Washington, these guys that would do network shows. So we didn't have ESPN Radio to carry. We didn't have you know Fox Sports Radio. So it was very unique, but every single local station had a passion in their area. If you were in Kentucky and you didn't have anything to talk about, you could talk about recruiting of a Kentucky basketball player, some kid in, in, at Ro- in Rhode Island that's 6'11", and people would just call and call and call. Hey, did you hear about that kid up in Chicago? And there, there wasn't, you know... We weren't looking on the internet for anything then. So everything was by word of mouth or reading it in a magazine. Fascinating stuff. And so now... Makes me sound old. With <laughs> Before, really, the internet was providing all your research. Now now you see what the evolution of sports radio with multiple networks. Yeah. You have extensions of broadcasting now with podcasting and digital media. It's it's amazing, the, the, the proliferation of sports radio in really relatively a short period of time. Well, it, it can provide clutter, mm-hmm. you know, so... What you have to do, and, and what I like uh, what you're doing here, is you have to find a way to, to deliver content that cuts through the clutter because there's just so much out of it. And I think that that's why it's tough to run um, sports radio networks now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I know from all my years at ESPN that um, you know running a network that has 500 affiliates across the country, you can't possibly. And, and in your intro, I heard Freddie. Um, you know, I've known Freddie Coleman for years, and and you you can't just sit down and and hope you're hitting and and resonating to every single market in Boise and Syracuse and Florida you just you have to kind of talk big picture treetops and that's and that's not an easy thing to do and that's why you know network show hosts are are really hard to find 
So now around 2001, you're getting in on working with the Dallas Mavericks. You're working as a pregame host, sideline reporter. You're getting to see a young organization really transition from the old regime to the regime under Mark Cuban. And around that time was a time when he changed the logo. Yeah. We spoke on a little bit before we started. He changed the logo, made some blockbuster trades. You see the evolution of Dirk Nowitzki, a young superstar European player. And what a time it is to cover a team like that who eventually got to the NBA Finals in 2006. Yeah, and I was there for that. And, and, you know, the interesting thing was, you know, Mark wanted to create a culture. And that's what I talked about. You know, Mark's culture was, hey, I've, I've made a lot of money. And Mark would tell you that you don't make money running an NBA team. It's a hobby, you know, but Mark knew how to make money in other ventures. And he also knew how to convince players at that time that, you know, if you have, uh, you know, iPods or, or um, uh, DVD players in your locker, that, that might be kind of cool. And that's how he would convince them that this was going to be a fantastic place. We have a fantastic plane. You're not going to um, you're not going to be hurting in any way. But then it took a guy like Dirk Nowitzki, who um, uh, amazing to watch Dirk. Dirk can walk on his hands three quarters of the way down the court. That's how he would work on the balance that you would see for his fall away shots. And he's seven foot. Back then, seven footers weren't supposed to take the ball on one end and dribble down all the way to the other end and make a layup. And he really defined, um, you know, what we saw from European players and what we see today. Okay, and how were the players at the time to cover? Were they a little bit more guarded? Now, this is a little bit before the age of Twitter, where now I feel like players are a little bit more guarded with the media, yeah. giving more professional answers, getting trained on how to give answers. At that time, when you're in, you know, in around the time of 2001, how were the players receptive to you as a sideline reporter? You know what? They were really receptive, but it also took a good coach. You know, Don Nelson uh, did not mind as a sideline reporter on TV and radio that I would that that I would listen in the huddle. You know, some guys like Greg Popovich and stuff they they want to they want to be guarded. But you know, I heard everything and then had to filter how I was going to say it in in twenty to to thirty seconds on the air. But I heard everything. You know, for years and and uh, a lot of those guys who are players now I see on coaching sidelines. Timmy Hardaway here, uh, he and I did a player show in Dallas and. And uh, Greg Anthony and um, Nikki Van Exel and, and all those guys were came through Dallas. And you'd see their professionalism. You'd see that they were open if you learned how to get to know them, okay? If you were just a host back in the studio and never got out to the locker room, but they always opened up more if you were there to ask them how they're doing, how their family's doing without a mic on all the time. And so building relationships with those players was probably the biggest thing um, anyone that does this very well in this business has to learn how to do. So now you get to 2006, a magical oh. season, because the Mavericks had a oh. great regular season. They get to the playoffs, up 2-0 versus the Miami Heat. And then you were up in that third game, but Dwayne Wade provided some magic and really changed the momentum of that series. Your memories of that time, that special season, 2006, followed by what I can see now is obvious heartbreak. No, it, it is, because you know what? Um, people will laugh, okay, I didn't play the game. But if you if you broadcast and you're part of the broadcast team the whole year, if you're the trainer, if you're the ball boy or whatever, if you're ever a part of a championship, everybody gets rewarded. So that mm. NBA title ring goes to you as well. And I thought, this is it. I, I thought, you know, because the the, um, the Mavericks had gone up and it looked like the Miami Heat were, were dead. And with the format in the NBA, the 2-3-2, home court advantage is not having the first two games. It's having those middle three because a bunch of young players, no matter how old they are, we had to go to Miami on South Beach for the middle three games against the Miami Heat. And when you have eight days and you're a professional athlete on South Beach, it's not a good thing. And Avery Johnson um, kind of lost control. He was a young coach and uh, he decided to move us um, two games in. So we moved to a better hotel because, or a further away because the distractions around South Beach were too much. And I saw at that point, I said, this is not going well. And, uh, and the Miami Heat came up, and, and Dwayne Wade happened to play an incredible series, and, and uh, it was probably one of the worst you know, losses for a team in the finals at that, at that point. In your memories, do you recall feeling like, wow, we were this close, but then it's something where you can see the potential excitement being up 2-0, big lead in Game 3, oh. and then the devastation. You recall those memories of, I had of put being it, disappointed? I had put it in the bag. In, in my mind, I think it was uh, game, uh, game 5. Maybe it was Game Four. It's the one that the 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 um, Mavericks were up sixteen in the in the um, in the second half. And I, I there's a bad luck charm that I had that goes back to the the late '90s. My first market covering a team was Portland when I was out in Portland. Covered that Blazers team, and and Scotty Pippen was uh, was one of the guys on that team. Well, Scotty was at this game, um, Miami and Dallas, and he came down during a timeout and he whispered in my ear. He said, "Sure, you're finally going to get a ring." 
And oh. at, at and at that point, from that point on, Miami w- went on to not only win that game and the next two games. So he is my worst luck charm ever. Wow. So he owes me one of his. Yes, he does. <laughs> <laughs> or at least a piece of it. Now, at this at this point in time, you're also expanding and doing some play-by-play stuff in 06. You told me that uh, you covered and did play-by-play for Bobby Knight's last four years at uh, Texas Tech. Yeah, it was, it, it was a fun experience that I'll never forget because, uh, you know, Coach Knight was uh, – you know, none of us knew that he was in some of his last, you know, years. But uh, you know, he wanted a guy to call TV, and and he asked me if I'd come in. But I would have to fly in uh, from Dallas just to do the game in Lubbock, and then I would fly out the next morning. So I did that for four years, and Coach and I did a weekly show on Sirius Satellite Radio. And for most of the hour every week on Sirius Satellite, we we would talk college basketball only a little bit of the time because he was such a football fan. Uh, and friends with Bill Parcells or friends with Tony LaRussa or Mark McGuire, and he'd want to talk baseball and football. And we would end up talking about golf, football, and baseball. And then we would realize we hadn't talked about the last couple of games that Texas Tech had had or in college basketball. But, you know, the guy was a is a brilliant man. And uh, and I learned a lot about motion offense and, and how to hold yourself. What kind of host was he as someone who was, I know obviously you're the professional and you're guiding the ship, but how was he as a, uh, as a, as a partner? Well, He's like you would imagine, okay? I'm 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 in the small, very small category of people. Uh, former Piston Isaiah Thomas is in that group too, where we are what we call Bob Knight apologists. Okay, I mean I understand everybody's got an opinion, and they say they wouldn't send their kid. I always would say, well, then don't send your kid. I mean, you know, you know what you're going to get. It's a military type of atmosphere. He believed in, you know, uh, uh, being stern with. But I also saw the the soft side of Coach Knight, and I saw that uh, he wanted every kid to to graduate to go to class. And if you didn't go to class, if you didn't get your grades, you weren't playing. And, uh, you know, so there was two sides of him. But the one thing you learned when you did a show with him, just like the guys at the press conference, you better not ask a dumb question. And so did that, you? that's what, no, well, I did a couple of times and coach would, would, would point it out. But another thing that he did, and he'd always sit, tell this to Mike and Mike as well. He just liked guys who he knew were asking a question because they knew the game or they knew how to ask the question. And so it was a real challenge to make sure that every single question that came out of my mouth was going to elicit an answer and not a piece of anger from coach. Oh, and that's another way of, of further training. I mean, you get a, an opportunity to be under someone where you're, you're under the fire a little bit, where you got to be sharp, you got to be on. That really can help you as a host too as well. Yeah, and I and I, I, I find it fascinating um, both studying players and why they're great and others are average, and then same with coaches. And and so I looked at guys like that, and I saw his final days and I, and I of coaching, and I realized, I, I realized when he didn't relate – to the 20 year old like some coaches do or the way he used to I realized he wasn't enjoying it anymore and uh you know the the next day when he announced his retirement the night before he had said Dave go down and uh go down and get the officials and let's go to let's go to Hooters and and I thought well that's kind of strange and but you know I went and knocked on the officials door and invited him out we all went there and, and spent two hours telling old stories and I and I walked away thinking you know it must be in the back of his mind that that it's over and sure enough the next day he retired you said that you felt like you and Isaiah were um, Bob Knight apologists. So does that mean that you kind of got to see another side of him off air, a little bit more a sensitive side, a side that wasn't the guy that was portrayed in the media, throwing chairs, gruff with the media? You saw probably a little bit of a different side of, of Bob Knight. Can you speak on that for those that maybe just only have that one perception of Coach Knight? Yeah, I think, you know, just it was, it was you know, if we were sitting in his office and he'd be like, you know, Dave, you know, I got a kid coming in. And, and I would I'd just sit there while he while he told the kid, hey, you got a decision to make, you know, if. I know you're on the bench now, but if you want to be here, go. And and you need to do that for your own career. It's not he wasn't yelling at him and he just said, "You know what, son? You know, you can either wait your turn, you'll get your chance." You know, and then he would start naming all the players that he had had back in championship years at Indiana and said, "Hey, this kid, you know, same position you are, but you better decide now because, you know, you got a long wait or you got to get better and, you know, you you have to see that side of of coaches to realize that they at at some point they got to relate and they've got to help a kid in his career. Okay, and so now around the time of 2007, you become operations manager of Capital Broadcasting. Does that mean you have much more responsibility than a program director would have? What does an operation managers do for a radio station or, or a, a broadcast company like Capital? Well, they they came up with that title because um, you were starting a station from ground up. And so um, we launched uh, 99.9 FM in, in, in Raleigh, North Carolina from scratch. And uh, so I left ESPN the first time. To, to go there and to do that after being with ESPN for seven years in Dallas. And, you know, it was it was a challenge, but we were in the triangle. And so I knew that a sports radio station would take off because we had Duke, North Carolina, North Carolina State. And 
and there was only one other sports talk radio station there um, that was in the market. And I knew that this would be a passion, but uh, as operations manager, you hire everyone, uh, you do everything to get a station started, and then eventually you just have to, day to day, you you do everything, hiring, firing, uh, much like a program director, but even more so, it was just kind of the the extra pressure that everything's on you, this better work or not. Exactly. And you multiple stations, 99.9 The Fan, 620 AM The Buzz, 1550 yeah. ESPN Deportes. We expanded. So, yeah, we expanded and added one of the one of the first uh, Deportes stations, a Hispanic station, and uh, and, and bought, uh, bought the competitor on the AM side as well. Okay, looking back, any critiques of any original ideas that maybe you felt felt flat or didn't go right? Or were the ideas that you had in programming, looking no. back now, were, were they okay? No, you know what? That's a great question. I mean, seriously, because... Everything we do is built on the experience that you learned in the past. And so a lot of things are, are tested and tried. Host style, you know, that's when I first started looking for guys who were ex-athletes to maybe, you know, counteract just guys just, you know, arguing or talking all the time. So, you know, trying to build a former athlete into a, into a host was, was important. And then I think, um, you know, you also learn some of the promotional things to do um out on this out on the scene that's kind of where the the idea that we ended up doing here with the top talent and mm-hmm. and having a competition began was just that you know we we kind of opened up some things and had some fun with some some listeners one time and i thought no this is kind of a this talent show thing might might work someday okay so that that was where the top talent idea yeah. was born but and we born... did it later in uh, los angeles as well but. okay so now you be, and uh around the time of 2010 after a, a stint with um, Capital Broadcasting, you become the operations manager, 710 ESPN LA. So this is a big-time job, I assume. It, it was, but it was. It, I, I never thought I would say that Los Angeles was a relief, but there, at the time, ESPN, when they asked me to come back, uh, they thought it was going to be New York. And, and uh, I was getting a little worried because the the thought of, of commuting from New Jersey or whatever, but uh, uh, fortunately that didn't happen. And, and so Los Angeles suddenly looked like a small town uh, comparatively. And uh, so moving the wife out there and everything, I was trying to find a, a little pocket of Los Angeles and we found Pasadena, which uh, turned out to be a, a, a nice uh, alternative if you're going to be stuck in a place where everybody lives on top of each other. But uh, it, was a, it was a tremendous uh, amount of years out there. And you had uh, pleasurable experiences. You got to also work with some big-name hosts with maybe potentially some big-name egos working out there in L.A. at ESPN, at, at the radio station. What was your experience like working with the hosts out there at an ESPN radio station? Well, it's funny because, you know, the town is built around entertainment. So it doesn't take you long to realize that, you know, if you go out to a restaurant and you, you think that, you know, maybe, hey, you know, I, I work for ESPN, uh, ESPN Radio. You're not getting a table because you're so far down in the entertainment pecking order because there's movie producers, actors, actors actresses, yep. you know, and, and suddenly you're like, wow. I mean, I, I, I'm i just sports talk radio. But that made it kind of fun because, you know, being in an environment where everything is about entertainment and, and uh, you know, 80 radio stations in a market of, of 20 million consumers, everything was a struggle, you know, and, and, and it took us nearly two years to even feel like we had fixed this, the radio station out there as a, as a unit because it just takes that long to change culture again. And and then uh, the Lakers didn't help because we were the Lakers flagship and they decided that they were going to stop winning titles mm-hmm. right around that time and start losing in the first round of the playoffs or the second round. So that didn't help. Speaking of the Lakers, obviously one of the big things that people talk about is Kobe Bryant. Yeah. And now he's on his last legs announced earlier this year. This is going to be his last year. In your situation and just evaluating Kobe Bryant, do you think that whole feud with Shaq really kind of started the process of diminishing his perception with the media and a little bit more hate started coming his way really when Shaq took some shots at him when they had their split? Yeah, I think it's interesting. I mean, having some some time to to get to know Kobe and have those kind of conversations, you know, on the road somewhere, Mm -hmm. you know, you found out that there was a lot that that we didn't know through that. I mean, Basically, when you break it down and, and you think about anybody that runs a company or any of the teams that you follow here, you can't have two alpha dogs on one team, mm. especially two alpha dogs, um, you know, run by Phil Jackson, who, you know, John, you'd appreciate. I mean, you know, Phil is the ultimate mind tactician, you know, and and he's a story in, in himself. And I'm just glad I got to see the, you know, the closing years of his coaching career because you learn so much about him. But you can't have two alpha dogs and both, you know, Kobe and Shaq had had um had so much of an ego at that point that they just you know they just they just couldn't size it down a little bit but you know, once they did and and you know they were able to win together um you know it was quite a ride but you know both of those guys are unique in their own personalities 
So now, how does the marriage between Detroit Sports 105.1 and Dave Shore happen? Do they recruit you? Do you see the opening and apply? Feeler sent out. How does Dave Shore end up now in Detroit as a program director of Detroit Sports 105.1 FM? Well, a lot of times you just get a call and, and uh, just feeling you out, and that's what they did. And, you know, they asked if I'd be interested in looking at it. And, you know, it, 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 a, lot, a lot of times and when people change jobs, you, you could stay in that same job that you have for as long as you want. But, you know, sometimes you look for a new challenge and, and uh, some of the things that we had done in Los Angeles had, had been five years. And, you know, you just look f- uh, for a challenge. And I think that one of them, the things is, is there's more than sports in Los Angeles. And we had waited for so many years for the NFL to possibly or not possibly or whatever to come. And then when you when you look at a situation where there's a Midwestern sports city where sports is important and it's people's lives and it's entertainment, you know, for me, it was kind of like coming back home because the Midwest is is a different feel than anywhere else in the country. Just double back one second now back to the job in L.A. You, you, you had said changing the culture. You said it took two years to start to feel that way. Do you feel then in about years three, four, and five that you actually did change the culture at that station, something that you could be proud of before you left to come here? Well, I mean, part of, you know, we you know, at a station that big, you had to have, you, you kind of had to be doubled up on management. And, uh, you know, we had another programmer out there as well, and, and he was great and, and older and a veteran, and he you know, he delegated the role of coaching all the talent to me. And, and that's, you know, you know, making sure that we had delegated properly. But then yet, you know, it took me every day and a lot of meetings with with the talent, because as you said, you know, uh, Max Kellerman, Marcellus Wiley, uh, uh, you know, Keyshawn Johnson, you know, guys that we had on, it, it really doesn't matter the amount of experience or the number of zeros that they make on their paycheck or have made before. They still want feed. The really good ones want feedback. And, and so that, you know, you've got to be a boss that gets out of your, your, your office and, 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 and pat someone on the back or critique them as well. And, you know, I think that's what, you know, really helps uh, guys like that because, you know, it's funny, it doesn't matter their ego. They always want to, to get feedback because they, all those guys learned it from, from being athletes. You know, Keyshawn Johnson is, uh, you know, he, he, he wanted you to yell at him every once in a while. Okay, and so you felt like at the, by the end of the, the stint there, the culture was changed and you were happy to come to Detroit and you felt like, okay, because sometimes you don't want to leave a situation worse than, than when you got there and you don't want to leave it in a situation where maybe they still need help. So you felt like, okay, I did my work there. The work that I did was what I expected. I'm ready now to take on a new challenge. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, because it's, you know, sometimes that's what everybody pulls out of their career is, is the ability to have a challenge and, and tackle a challenge. And, you know, the secret of success isn't always the same. You know, in Los Angeles, it wasn't about ratings. It was about your market share and being, you know, the sports leader. So if there was two other sports radio stations, you were one of the three that were on top. That was all it was about. It wasn't really about how high the actual rating was, because depending on what some of the things you were doing, like carrying Laker games or or having successful shows that would go out, uh, that, that was all that sales really needed to, to go out and make money. Uh, but then, you know, so the standard of what is success is different in a lot of the markets. March 2015? You come, you, you start to survey the landscape, Detroit Sports 105.1. What are your initial thoughts? What are your initial preparations in the first couple of months at a job, at, as a new program director at a new station, at a new radio station like in Detroit? Well, I think, you know, uh, understandably, I had been a part of three startups before. So startups are a very, very tough thing. And so it, it, it was hard to not come in here from day one because some of the things that, that, that I had done or learned from from mistakes had maybe already been made or or maybe some opportunities hadn't been taken advantage of because this is a unique market. And as I said, I salute the fans. I, I salute the teams here because there's a passion. But at the same time, there's, you know, five, 600 sports radio stations in the country. And there's very few markets where your competitor or those that have done it before have done it as established as what has been done here or in Dallas, uh, you know, when we started a station there against the ticket in Dallas or the fan in New York. I mean, there's very few radio stations that have been on a long period of time, can can go, you know, all local, all day. And um, and so, you know, I knew it was going to be a unique thing. But in a lot of cities, you know, Salt Lake City used to have three, I don't know if they still do, three sports radio stations in Salt Lake City, talking about the Utah Jazz and college. It all depends on if you can grow the market share of men and sports fans to to sustain, you know, two, three stations. Uh, uh, that's what a lot of the markets have had happen. So, you know, I, I knew that you you cannot copy other stations. You know, TV stations can't do that. Radio, sports radio stations, music stations. You have to decide what you're going to do, and you have to stay in your lane and do that. While the other guy can be very successful while he stays in his lane and, and does what they've done. Okay, so now what's Dave Shore's vision of Detroit Sports 105.1? Now it's a, you know, <laughs> oh you, you've made some changes. 
You're now starting to see, you know, what the lineup looks like. You are now Detroit Sports 105.1 is the broadcast home of the Pistons. So you have experience with that as well, yeah. working in the radio. What is your vision for Detroit Sports 105.1? The vision is to, to, to put together compelling personalities, okay? And, and compelling personalities always aren't well-known people. And, and so, you know, you have to find people who convey content very well. And much like you guys are doing here, you know, back in the day, people didn't have podcasts to do, to, to work on those reps. They had to wait until somebody said, okay, would you fill in? But they only got once every two months a chance to, to actually fill in. So, you know, I'm, I'm trying to put guys together that sound natural and, and they sound like they're having fun. And they may not have played the game all the time, but they, but they know how to talk it and enjoy each other because chemistry is huge. And, uh, and, and then if you put them together, you you get you got to let them get reps and do it for a long period of time because the only way you're going to be get loyalty from listeners or fans or or anything is to is is to get to know you a while because you know think of your favorite restaurant you didn't it didn't become your favorite the first time you went you got you you got to know the waiter you got to know the bartender you you, you got to feel more comfortable and uh, and that takes time it takes time because there's some personalities in this city. You're a program director. If there's a young lad, maybe at Specs Howard, which is a big broadcast school here in a town. Great school. Great oh. school. Has lots of you know great yeah. names that are, that are doing some great work in radio. So what advice would you give for a young lad who wants to break into sports talk radio? What advice would you give them? Well, I think, you know, doing anything they can, you know, it's it, it's it's not easy to do a podcast, but you know, it it surely has put some nice reps together. But also, you know, seeing it from from any angle. I know the interns that that you don't really hear much about on the radio at our station, you know, they're doing some unique things that they can't do when they're sitting in the classroom. You know, no matter, I mean, Specs is putting out unbelievable people and they do a fine job out there, but at the same time, you got to pick up the phone, you got to talk to guys as a screener, and you got to learn what it's like to listen to guys talk before you put them on the air. And so, I think seeing, you know, if, if you have the ability to move and you're not tied down to your area. It's fun to go to smaller markets, be the big fish in a small pond, and 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 do a lot. Be a producer somewhere. Be, you know, so it's it's really unique to try in this business to try to do all possible things. Do a bunch of different things, and don't maybe pigeonhole yourself yeah. into one niche thing. Try to do as much a bunch of stuff and get ex- as much experience as you can. Or be or be an expert at at something. I mean, I think that you know with with MSNBC and a lot of things now. You know, I, I usually tell somebody, you know, try try to find a niche. You know, I, I know back in the 90s, I, I wasn't, I, I syndicated a, a, a small NASCAR show uh, to uh, stations around Kentucky and, and Virginia. And I wasn't, I wasn't a huge NASCAR fan. I was just a, I was just a sports fan, but I decided to get in there and, and, uh, and, and learn the business and learn the drivers and owners and go to Charlotte and spend days around the garages. And, you know, I kind of developed a little niche in NASCAR, but, but, I hardly watch many races now, but you know, at the time, you you have to find a niche if you're going to succeed. Early on in the job, you find some challenges now because you're surveying the landscape of what's going on, who the hosts are, whose term might be up, and things like that. So, relatively quickly in your time, one of the marquee shows on the station, Drew and Mark, is going through a, a contract situation. For those of us that were peeking in, you know, we kind of heard what the, the idea was that maybe there was an idea of maybe adding a third person or changing up that show. What was the challenge like, you know, early on where you have a, a show that maybe just uh, is in negotiation uh, early on in your tenure? Sometimes the talk and the rumors are much more exciting than the actual mm-hmm. story. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, because I've, I've seen it, whether it be with teams that I've been with or other stations that I've been with, that, you know, sometimes things just don't work out and re-signings okay. don't happen for various reasons and, and uh, contracts just don't get renewed. And, mm-hmm. you know, suddenly you, you, you got to go elsewhere. But, you know, I, I do know one thing. I didn't get that that long to be with. Um, with those individuals, but you realize that you guys are good for a reason. You know, they they put time in it. They've they've got great talent. It just didn't work out uh, on both sides for for the future. Okay, so now as a program director, you're in on the negotiations with these talents agents. You're in on talks of hey, do we want to stay longer, or you know, talks about format and stuff like that. That's part of your job as program director at a radio station. Yeah, you you know, you work uh, in concert with your market manager or general manager in in some markets and. You know, you work it out together, but you know every side has their their reasons as to why they come to the table and and, and what they want out of the deal. So you know, you just hope that you're able to to keep talent and and and, and keep them moving forward. But uh, you know, it, it gave us the opportunity and gave me the opportunity to to hear and look at some some new guys as well. Okay, and so now you've got the lineup set: Ryan and Rico, eight to noon; Sean Mazenmark, noon to three; Drew Sharp, Matt Deary, three to seven. 
you're now uh, evaluating this lineup day in, day out. And you, you know, when we've spoken, you said, hey, part of the job I love is actually getting to listen to these uh, hosts and listen to what uh, is put out there. So in your job, what are you actually listening for? That's another good question. I, I like your questions, which is, is very important because I, you know, as I told you, that's how I started was, you know, you got to be able to ask questions that you'll get, you get answers, I think, that will be intriguing to people. And that, you know, that's a challenge every day. First of all, the biggest challenge is I've spent my whole life on the air. Okay, as management or on the air, I hosted the Lakers pregame show is just kind of something to keep me not going crazy sitting in an office in, in L.A. all the time. But now this is the first time I've, I've really taken myself off the air. So it's hard. I mean, I enjoy this. I'd sit here, you know, and, and, and talk about the Tigers or Lions if you wanted to for another hour, because, you know, this is this is the part I, I love. But it's so it's hard. It's hard to just listen to guys and say, well, yeah, I do that different or, or whatever. But you have to listen for something um, unique. And, and, I, and I tell my guys um, this simply is um, be thought-provoking. Say something. And, and that's truly, they, they get tired of hearing that, but say something. And, and I think that in this business, you've got to have an opinion. I, I know a lot of the guys that, uh, you know, working for ESPN for all the years, you know, some of the, the TV anchors, that's what made it so hard when they would go over and fill in on radio is because they had been schooled for so many years to not be able to say their opinion. And, and Dan Patrick was even like that when he first started out in radio. But, but Dan knew to find something that was his niche. His niche is to ask really good questions to really cool, super cool people. And, and, and thus, he doesn't have to just go on long rants and, and give his opinion. But to those, I think today, you've got to be able to cut through the clutter again. And to do it, you've, you've got to say your opinion. No one can walk away and say, I, I wonder what he really thinks of that. They've got to know. And you also, you can't yell. You can't, I, I don't think yelling in, in this business, unless you're a couple of the successful guys that have done it for years, you can't imitate yelling. And so you can't really be a screaming type of, of sports talk show host in this day and age. So you got to have gears, you know, so that, so that I know, man, he must, must really be passionate if I hear you yell. Not that you're just doing it for the sake of doing it. So I'm just listening for guys to see if they sound genuine. If they sound like you would hope that they would sound if you were sitting, uh, you know, down at Applebee's with them, that's all genuine. Yeah, they got to be able. They got to be able to tell stories and have an opinion, and I, and I think that that's the most interesting thing. And and once again, I still I still ask my guys, please go out to the games. You know, go to the locker rooms because that that that's really important to the athletes. You know, I know I, I know when I covered Keyshawn uh, when he was a cowboy, that was one of the things he would say. He'd listen to sports talk radio all the time, and he'd say, "Where's that guy?" And he would say the guy's name, and I'd say, "Well, he he stays in the studio." Well, that's my problem. He goes, come out here and face me and tell, tell me those same things that he says about me on the radio. So, you know, I tell my guys, you know, it's, it's fun to get to know these guys, you know, and so go spend some time in the dugout or, or the clubhouse, you know, before and after a game or, or, or go to land, you know, East Lansing or Ann Arbor and get to spend time with these guys because, you know, it really gives you a better perspective because all we are is just a conduit. You know, other people have got their lives, they've got jobs and, and they spend, you know, 15, 30 minutes with us. We've got to somehow take them a little bit behind the scenes and, and, and tell them something that they don't know. Like you said, part of your job is to be aware of who's at your station, who are the reporters in town that potentially could be great hosts, who are the other talent that are already established. So in this market, there is a number one radio host who has been here for quite a while. Is there potentially exploratory things going on with the number one host uh, on the number one show in Detroit, Mike Valeni? You know, one thing I can always say, you know, in this business is we, we, we never talk about who we're pursuing or wh whatnot, mm -hmm. because in a lot of situations, just like I learned in athletics, you know, there's windows of opportunity. Mm -hmm. I, I, I will never say that we'll never, ever talk to anybody in this business, but um, I also can't give you any, any confirmation either, because it's just, it's one of those things that, you know, it, it comes about in, in funny ways in certain markets that I've been in. So how have the contract negotiations gone for you in the past with others? Have you been feeling like now, at this point in time in your career, you're confident sitting with the agents and figuring out like what the, the talent like, what's needed for them to be comfortable at this point in time? Because obviously, you know, programming talent has a lot of responsibilities, but oftentimes negotiating those deals can't be easy either. No, it's not easy, but, you know, it's, it's, you really have to separate yourself from the agent. Okay. You know, it's, it's really about you and the talent because you're the ones that are going to be together every day. And so, okay. you know, that guy's got his job to do, whether or not you have an attorney or you know, a broadcast agent or, or just someone to represent you. It's, it's a great thing to do. But at the end of the day, it comes down to just, you know, the, the, the boss and the, and the programmer and the general manager sitting down with the talent and saying, are you into this? Because it, it, it's really, really important. And, and unfortunately, I haven't had to have that many, you know, changes in some of some of the markets. But uh, but and, and if it's time for a guy to go on, 
you know, he's gone on and, and pursued another another challenge. So, but but I, I do say the old proverbial, don't burn bridges, because I've seen it happen so many times in this business. That's one big you mistake you'd say to avoid is don't burn bridges. Oh, don't. I mean, and, and that's why I think, you know, you know, you got to, I think athletes face it more, but, you know, you got to watch your social media footprint and everything mm-hmm. that's going on, because, you know, and lo and behold, you're, you know, you end up working with a guy, you know, mm-hmm. and it might not be this market, it might be another market, or this guy moves here, and I, I can't tell you how many times I've either had a connection with somebody or they've had a connection with somebody else. And all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're looking at them again in a, in a different situation because it, before I was their, their colleague and now, you know, I'm, I'm the guy that, that could hire him. So, um, but I, I think it's really the, 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 the best challenge is knowing that there's probably some guys out there that we've never heard of. And, and, uh, that's, that's really the fun thing. And if we ever have the ability to, to continue to expand, that's, that's the guy I want to find. Okay, so because they're the, they're the easiest ones to find. Um, well, they're the hardest ones to find too. I mean, we we did our top talent competition. We had over three hundred applicants. When we did it in Los Angeles, we didn't have over three hundred, and we also didn't have as many good ones as I listened to in that three hundred. So um, I was very pleased at that, and and um, you know that's that's a fun way of doing it because who is good and who isn't is a very subjective thing. Um, not all hosts can sound the same. That's why Rush Limbaugh was as popular as he was. Because if all hosts sounded the same, it'd be very boring radio. So when listeners a lot of times call me and say, I hate this guy, I say, I appreciate that. I, I mean, I really do. I mean, because that's the great thing about sports talk radio is you're entitled to your opinion. And I can't change your mind on that. But then again, if you talk to people long enough, they, they sometimes happen to be the best listener of that person because you sometimes do listen to somebody that you don't like because that anger that you developed is something that kind of brings on your passion for this entertainment business. So I very carefully listen to to people sometimes because a lot of times the most popular guy to them is is you know as Mike has done uh, very well in this market is you know it's 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 like the Dallas Cowboys or the New York Yankees. There's got to be that polarizing effect to where half half the audience loves you and half hates you because if you're just feel good radio, it's just gonna be boring. Who have been a couple of the talent and hosts that you've listened to and uh, are, are hired that you said, wow, I really enjoyed that hire and I'm, I'm enjoyed that they started in radio or progressed because of our work together? I some, think, of the, some of the hosts you've enjoyed working with. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, I go back to my Dallas days, you know, Sean Salisbury, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and fortunately filling in on, on ESPN Radio Network uh, over the years, I got to, to work with a lot of the guys, the insiders that you hear now, uh, like Mel Kuyper. You know, Mel, during a commercial, I'd say, you know, I'd tell him down the line he was in his house on an ISDN line. I was in Dallas on an ISDN line, and I'd say, you know, where do you want to go? Mel's like, doesn't matter. You you just name a name, I'll I'll run with it. And and the guy has no notes. He everything's off the top of his head. John Clayton's the same way. And um, you know, you look for for guys who are just you're really unique with their perspective. And and I see the ones, and I and I love the ones who are going to be very good at this business. Tory Hunter is going to be very good at this business. Um, Gabe Kapler, I helped out uh, uh, before he got on with Fox. But as a player, he was always a player show on the radio. He was very good at at describing things. But you know, a lot of guys they get to expand more off of the way you know them. So Max Kellerman was that way in in Los Angeles because he's a thinking man. You know, he went to Columbia, and so his ability to tell a story is amazing. But his ability to tell it concisely is not what one of his strengths. So that's what, you know, we, we have a very limited attention span. So I'd have to get him to speed up his, his story just a bit. You know, a, a colleague of yours, a friend of yours, Jason Barrett has a great website, Sports yeah. Radio PD on Twitter. It's really good. Gives a lot of advice about it is. talent, uh, a lot of advice about uh, shows, prepping, a lot of things. But he recently put out a report, WIP host in Philadelphia, Joss Eines. Suspended three days in Philadelphia because after the press conference introducing the new head coach for the Eagles, Doug Peterson, Josh goes on the air and makes some derogatory comments that forced um, forced the station to suspend him for three days. Have you ever had challenges mm-hmm. where you have these hosts who understand that ratings and revenue are a little bit important in radio that maybe crossed the line in terms of things they've said that really got the station in trouble? Have you had to deal with hosts that need to kind of be Rain back just a little bit in terms of, hey, you got to watch what you're saying here. This is not like a free forum, like a podcast. Well, I think as as great and as big as ESPN was, that was one of our greatest challenges because, you know, when, when sometimes you're at the top as a network or whatever, you're also the most criticized as well. And so sometimes you become, when you're owned by Disney, as ESPN is, uh, you become extra sensitive or to, to certain things that are said. And it's tough in this business. You know, Josh, I didn't hear the actual cut. I didn't, but I know as a boss, you have to do that. I, we, we had, I had to do it. We had to do it in Los Angeles. 
uh, with something Max Kellerman said on the air, um, along with Marcellus Wiley, and you know it had to do with the Ray Rice situation, and mm. you know, and a guy tells a story, and he just he it's live radio. You're you're going to say something that might become offensive, and every market has a little different threshold. If you say it nationally, it's one thing because you're gonna you're gonna upset somebody if you say it nationally. Locally, sometimes you can say certain things in certain markets are, aren't going to upset people that it might in in Portland or Seattle or or another uh, community. So you have to deal with it individually. You have to understand that guys will make mistakes. Okay. And so the punishments or whatever they happen, but they're part of our business. And and it's tough because I you know I know having known Stephen A. Uh, for years, Stephen A. Smith, and having him do night times in in Los Angeles while he lived in New York. You know, I'd often say if he got in trouble or something, you know, we kind of they kind of created that dynamic themselves because if if you bring guys on around the horn or any of those, pardon the interruption, you're asking them in live real time to get upset and argue. And when they say something that is truly their opinion, and then you didn't really want them to do that, you 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 kind of gave them the the format to do that. You want them to be themselves. And so at times guys are going to say something. And um, that doesn't mean that every guy that's ever offended anyone has gotten suspended. Okay. It just it just means you, you have to be smart. And, and 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 the guys who have done this a long time, they will have said they made a mistake. Okay. Or two. Gotcha. And either they eluded being punished or they lost their job or something. But if you've been around this business a long time, you probably have said something to offend somebody. But did, did you and, hear, and it's hard. Did you hear what was said in LA right then and go, Uh oh, I think something's gonna happen. Yeah. Here. You heard it live on when you're okay. Yeah. I was you in my it. office. Okay. I said, oh, you're this like, is, it's going to be a long next couple of days because okay. you're dealing with you you're vibe. dealing with ESPN TV and they you know and uh, uh, you know you know it's going to be a, a long thing. But uh, the phone doesn't even need to ring before you realize that uh, that probably wasn't the best thing to say. So and you know unfortunately and all the you know it just it just really depends on how bombastic a, a personality is. You know I I wasn't as afraid that I was going to say something offensive because I'm I'm more of a low key guy. But and there were times when I had to catch myself and realize that. This is not going to come across out well if I say the next thing that's on my lips. Now, on the, on the other spectrum, there are moments where you make great radio and it kind of hits home to national media and makes news. Earlier um, this year, uh, Golden Tate is on your airways. Yeah. And he's he's a regular guy. He's a dude that likes to talk and actually says some things. He made news with Matt Deary, who does great interviews, and he said that kind of broke the story and kind of told a little bit of inside in the locker room talking about that the Lions offense was predictable. And all of a sudden you start seeing, okay, this is catching some traction. Yeah. We're getting some requests for cuts, media cuts and sound from NFL Network. This is a story that's gaining some traction across across the landscape there. Do you kind of get that sense too of like, wow, this is really good radio? Yeah. Well, it's you know, it's magical at, at times because it's the only way we would have gotten that is to make a long-term commitment and have Golden on every week. That doesn't mean every week he says something compelling. But it sure is nice knowing that if something goes wrong on a Sunday, I can't wait till Tuesday to see what he has to say. And I think he went through a couple of times this year where he said it one way and then the next week it, it may have sounded a little bit filtered because it doesn't matter who you are, if you got a union behind you or whatever, you know, if 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 your employer would rather have you not say those kind of things, you 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 have to kind of honor that. And I think that Golden a couple of times probably held himself back when maybe Monday he would have said it one way, but by the time he came on Tuesday he had soften a little bit but he he says it like it is and and fortunately um you know having been around to in dallas and and being there when he said the the you better get your popcorn and I, I was there i think with my mic in in the huddle when he said that but you know you're gonna have guys that just they speak their mind but most of the time golden included uh on the field they they tend to be the guys that back it up too right i mean they're not you know they're not just it's hard to take that from a punter or a kicker because that guy just doesn't hold any weight in in the locker room but that's why I like trying to get these guys who can kind of tell it like it is. Um, we're sitting here now, end of January. What are some of the short-term goals now for the next couple of months for Detroit Sports 105.1? Get the Pistons in the playoffs, yeah. you know, because that's, as I told you guys off air before we started, you know, there's, there's a bandwagon effect in every town and every city, and I think that Piston fans are great here, but it, it's time for a winner. And, and I think that, you know, the way Stan is and we're this close – um, to seeing them maybe every day to to compete for one of those eight spots at the end, um, you know, I'd like to see that because it's fun for a sports radio station, especially the flagship, to be a part of that. And I know our you know our colleagues at the you know at the other station have gone through it when you have play by play over the years. So you know it's it's kind of fun to be a part of that. And um, 
and I and I feel like we would have some fun if if uh, the Pistons can can get to the playoffs and and we can debate it every day. And and you know, so I can't control that, mm-hmm. but I can control that 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 hopefully all you listeners uh, out there or fans will you know check us out. But 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 we'll try to have some fun, you know, and, and we're trying to build some some loyalty among you because we know that you have other things to do. Um, I do it every day when I when I make my drive in. I mean, I've got a couple podcasts I can choose from. You know, I've listened to yours. You know, I listen to NPR, Planet Money. I, you know, I listen to a lot of different things. I don't just listen to Sports Talk Radio at all times. So we know you have choices. And, mm-hmm. and you know, that's the important thing when you're a program. You've got to understand that you're never going to win everybody over. Let's just be good when we can be. Okay, so I'm a big movie guy. And so a famous line from a recent movie, it's uh, slipping my mind at the moment. But sell me on Detroit Sports 105.1. If you're an avid fan out there, you're listening to this podcast, they may not know there's two big radio stations in town covering sports. Dave, tell me on Detroit Sports 105.1. <laughs> we're going to have fun, okay? We're, we're going to give you our opinion, but we're not going to yell. We're not going to argue. We're just going to have discussions, and, and that's, that's what really is what we try to do, and we try to have smart discussions. I know when I was driving in here today, um, you know, the guys, were, the guys were talking about the Flint water situation mm-hmm. because, you know what, we're sports fans, but it's not our entire lives. I mean, we've got we got listeners in Flint. We got people that have relatives in Flint. You know, every once in a while, and this is and and by the way, this is what happened in Los Angeles. Really, a breakthrough for us for our guys to really relate was the Boston uh, Marathon bombing. Okay, that day, our bosses in on the East Coast at Bristol and at ESPN were you know suggesting, hey, go to go to our friends over at ABC Seven and just carry the news coverage. And we said no. I mean, these are our guys. So Steve Mason and John Ireland and Max and Marcellus, we just had them carry us through the day. And, and so we grieved along with the listeners when there's mass shootings. We'll, we'll tell you what's going on while you're working or driving, but I don't want to give it to some news feed. We're the guys that you trust. And so we're just as sad as you are. So let's just walk through it. We'll give you the details, and, and, but let's just let's walk through it together hand in hand with the listeners. And, and I think that that's what, you know, we want to truly do is, is somehow make a connection to you, but we just can't talk stats all the time. We got to relate to the auto show and and um, you know the water situation and the the election coming up and you know things that guys really do deal with during the day. And I do want to let you know I'm a listener, but I'm not going to give my political thoughts. No problem. <laughs> let you know I'm a listener. Great content. It's it really is you know a distinct radio network, and you're doing great things in sports. It's a very enjoyable listen when you do get a chance to listen. I'll tell you that. Well, no, I and I appreciate that, and I appreciate um, you and what you do, okay, because I meet a lot of guys, and uh, so everyone that, that downloads his podcast, you know, I mean, I, I can tell firsthand that you, you're passionate about this, and so, you know, there's there's a lot of chances out there, and there's a lot of abilities to speak to consumers, and I think you do a nice job of uh, taking people behind the scenes. So I learned something by listening about my very own employee in Sean Belishian last week. So thank you for listening. You can learn something. I appreciate that. And so I want to talk to you about this because I I would be remiss if I didn't ask. And I want to get your honest opinion. You know, the connection that people have with radio, the reason why I think guys like you, myself, people that love radio, is the connection that you feel with the host. You know, you're getting an emotional reaction. You're developing a relationship, drawing opinions about a host. Now you you have employed a host now, and you've met you've matched Matt Deary with Drew Sharp, who is a controversial figure. But um, talk about the challenges of having a host like that, who kind of draws a reaction, sometimes polarizing. That's an excellent term. I, I mean, I think, but as I said before, you you want them to be themselves. Okay. You know, I mean, Mike Mike Francesa does it in New York. I, I'm trying to think of other guys. You know, mm-hmm. Mike does it across the street yep. uh, here in town. You know, it's just it. You got to be yourself, and and I I had a host who like Drew Sharp um, was a popular columnist in town. His name was Randy Galloway from the Fort Worth uh, Star Telegram in, in Dallas, and you know the same things we'd hear about Randy. Oh, I hate what he says. You know, I hate what he writes. And then Randy, the more he was on the radio, ratings just kept going up and up because. People got a chance to hear him a little bit more than what they read. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dale Hansen was a, a TV sportscaster down there that if you YouTube him, he's got great commentaries from in Dallas. But he was the same way. Is it he could only say so much on his TV sportscast, but when he was on the radio, yeah, he hated the same things all the time. But he had a unique way of kind of making you think and making you just tweaking you just enough that kind of tweaked your ears. So, you know, I'm looking for guys that do that. Uh, Drew Sharp doesn't waffle. Okay, what he says is what he means. Matt, Matt's the same way. Um, you know, Ryan Rico the same way. I mean, that's you know the definition of one likes Michigan, one likes Michigan State. You know, 
I, I don't want you waffling back and forth. I just want you to, to be yourself. And so um, I hesitate to say controversial at times because mm-hmm. you're just being yourself. And I think that the, the true talent are the ones who are not afraid to open up about themselves. Okay. So that's why Colin Coward, I think, has done a good job. We got Colin out of being a TV sportscaster and did local radio in Portland. I did morning drive. He did middays for us. And he always decided, I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself. So you knew that he went through a divorce. You, but, but some guys have a hard time doing that. They don't want anybody to know anything about their lives. And, um, and that's the real connector when it comes to like good talent and just average talent. Now, you've said to me that you've enjoyed coaching up talent now for the better part of 19 years. You enjoy it. So what is it like to coach up talent? Do you give them pointers or do you just kind of do air checks? Or what is it like to coach up a talent that's working at a station that you're at? Well, you know what? That's another good question. I mean, because I, I think the average person does wonder, well, what's good or what's not. But, you know, we, we do. We listen back. I mean, I don't know. Have you ever listened to your own podcast? Yes. Okay. I mean, that's that's a simple lesson because mm-hmm. anything in, in life that you do as a living – whether you're on the automotive line or whatever, hopefully you you experience your own car, the own product, you try it out. That's what you got to do with radio. You got to be able to to listen back and go, was that really good? Um, so you say the, the 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 littlest thing sometimes to a guy, just as a tip. You, you you say, were you talking at the audience or were you talking with them? And and you don't because that's the interesting thing that I've learned ab- about the guys who have done this truly well is they're able to have a conversation with you by not seeing you, but just looking at this microphone right here. But you kind of feel like they're talking to you. They're not talking at you. And so sometimes, you know, guys, you know, you get caught up in the game just like a team would, and you go, hey, did you know you're, um, you're, you're dropping back four steps instead of three? You need somebody to, to point that out. And sometimes in radio, we have to do that. We say, wait, use these two things here instead of this one thing, meaning the ears. You know, listen before you jump in and and or listen to the answer when you when we bring a guest on and and let it sink in. There's nothing lo- wrong with a pause on radio. It doesn't mean we've gone off the air, but it helps make a point before you start talking. So, you know, a lot of times it's just little little nuanced things that we point out because I know what guys want to be like, but sometimes we don't always do what we hope we we should do. Okay, and, now you- and somebody needs to to tell you. Yeah, now you've been in Detroit the better part of 11 months. Oh, this well, is a great area. Great area, great sports, all the sports you could ask for, baseball, basketball, football, hockey, all the college teams, great sports town. What have you kind of indulged in, piqued at? What's piqued your interest now in 11 months sporting-wise here in the great, st- great state of uh, Michigan? I think it's the pride. Uh, it's not duplicated in any other place that I've ever lived in the South or out West. Um, you know, there's a certain amount of pride here, uh, and, and, and I think it's because of what you've been through. And it's because, you know, you have a unique ability to survive uh, through tough times. So I think that that's where sports is the great uniter. We found it in 9-11. And, and you know, sports can be the, the great uniter of people and their differences. And I think that there's a few markets in the co- country that truly get it as sports fans. And this is one of those areas. So it's been fun to meet people and talk to people and, and, and see people uh, in their daily lives here because it's it's – you know, it's a comfortable place to live. And, um, you know, everybody's going to have complaints about your area, but um, I think this area has got a lot of growth still to come. You've been to all the venues now, the big four? Uh, Ford I, Field, Comerica Park. I have. The Palace. Which ones caught your eye? Which one do you like sitting in and enjoying uh, a contest? I would say all of them in their own unique way. Okay. I, I mean, do do I do I hope in, in my 17 years of, of covering and traveling in the NBA that they consider all options and, and, you know, maybe move downtown or whatever. Yeah, I, I do. Because I think I, I truly enjoy the downtowns of America where they gather downtown for their sports. And that was the big debate in Los Angeles was whether or not an NFL stadium would could be located down uh, where we were at the Staples Center and, and would people come. But I think that in, in markets like this, I think it's very important. And I think that at, at Comerica and and at the when they build the new, you know, hockey arena, it's going to be so nice because – you got to be able to gather. You got to be able to to go out and get something to eat, and you know you got you got to be able to do it in in the center of a town. And I think that that's what's great about it. I remember I got my first week here. Our second week here was opening day, and I had been to all these Super Bowls and everything like that, World Series, and and everybody said, "Oh, you you will not believe you you've never seen anything like this." They were right. I could not believe how early everybody got up and and drank beer and and uh, 
and hung out. That is a truly great opening day atmosphere here. It just when the weather cooperates. Mm-hmm. Now I want to fill you in. I did text Maz and said, "Hey, what kind of you know? Is there a question you want to know about the big boss?" Wow, you texted while we were. No, no, not now, not now, uh, earlier. No, I'm kidding. Yep. That's uh, called multitasking. My guys text while they're on the air, too. Yes, exactly. And, uh, you know, Maz doesn't have any questions. He just wants more money for Maz's family. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? I've never had a guy who doesn't ask for that. I don't think I've ever said hello to Rick Mahorn. At a Pistons game where he doesn't ask me, there's a boat. I need some more money. So, you know what? I'm good. Maz is his own best agent. Right there. There you go. No, that's good. And so we ask of this, of all the guests that enter and uh, get a sense of what you would do. So you got four tickets. You can go to any sporting event, any venue. You can take three people with you, dead or alive, Uh, past, present, friends, family, celebrities. What sporting event would you go to? What venue? Who would you take? I would think, um, interesting. I I think I'd go to the U.S. Open at Flushing Meadows, and I would take uh, guys from that area or who had played. So I would want to sit with Pete Sampras. That's my guy. Okay. Classic uh, tennis yeah, player. Yeah. Amazing. Oh, amazing. I'd want to sit there with Billy Joel, and I'd probably, I don't know who that other one would be. Probably a longtime uh, sportscaster. Um, the great Pat Summerall. Um, you know, I actually got to to use him as an analyst in, in Dallas uh, during some of his last days. So uh, I, I'd say a guy like that. You know I love the guys who have called or played the game, and that's who I would want to sit and watch that with. Watching a tennis match is very enjoyable. If you're into tennis and you can get a chance to go out to the U.S. Open, there was nothing like the rivalry with Sampras, Agassi. And then I I was totally shocked that the transition from a great player like Sampras right away to a player of the epic nature of Roger Federer was unbelievable in my youth. I was like, oh, Sampras, I will never see another player like this. Now you got a guy like Roger Federer. It's unbelievable where, you know, tennis was in the latter part of the 90s, early 2000s. Well, that is so cool that you... You know, I played high school tennis. Okay, and and I and I love it as just a hobby, and I mm-hmm. got to get back into it now at, at fifty. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, back in the nineties, I, I I called tennis for Sports Channel Ohio on television. But and I saw the personalities and the reason why Agassi and Courier. But at the same time, I also saw that they they were they were so into. I mean, Jim Courier was so into tennis that he was not translating in terms of promoting the game because he wasn't a good interview. The only way you could open Jim Courier up was to talk about his Cincinnati Reds. Mm. Then he'd talk all, all day. But I think that American tennis went through that time period where they're not helping the sport out any because these guys, there's nothing controversial about them. This is not mm. Jimmy Connors. Right. This is not, you know, Yvonne Lendl. Or, or so I really miss, I mean, if there's ever a sport, I wish, you know, Came golf back, yeah. on PGA and mm-hmm. tennis, but... You know, I get laughed at a, at, a, at a lot of things because everybody thinks that it's only the big four. But I, I really wish that tennis, you know, would have uh, taken its next step. So I've never been. So of all the big events, Indy 500 and everything else I've tried and been to, I've never been to, to Flushing Meadows. Well, here's Other to, than drive by it yep. on the way to the airport. Here's to hoping you see some great tennis down the line. Dave Shore has been kind Maybe enough. Maybe i take you as one of the other ones. For sure. That's okay. great. All right. We have a good time. <laughs> Dave Shore has been kind enough to share insights regarding his career as a program director on air, sharing insights on Detroit Sports 105.1. I can't thank you enough what your contact with us has done for us, keeping us motivated and really getting giving us a sense of, hey, what's it like to work at a station? What's it like in the inner workings? And I greatly appreciate your time. I know it's valuable. You came in here. You answered the questions. And I feel like, you know, I always say when you're having fun, time flies. We Absolutely. blinked an hour and 10 minutes went by. Great. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for your time. You got it. Thanks, Dave. I appreciate it. Thank you. It.